Hello, everybody, and welcome to Minute 96 of Season 5 of the Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-kay our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me are my, my recurring guest who likes to take over when, when uh, you know, someone for, for some reason can't, can't make it to record. So I, I want to welcome back uh, my good buddy, uh, Alan Sanders, from the now defunct and hopefully at some point revived Wilder Ride. Uh, welcome back, Alan. Thanks a lot, Rob. No, I, I like to think of myself as your permanent go-to bench talent, that when something needs, uh, ha- something happens, uh, whether somebody uh, has to drop out or somebody has a conflict, that you can always reach out to the bench and I just need a couple of warm-up swings and then uh, I'm good to go. That's right. You're, you're always the first guy off the bench, so there you go. You got that. <laughs> all right. So minute. So first of all, thank you for for showing up at at the relatively last minute. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, this may be the fastest you've ever gotten me to commit and then actually start recording. <laughs> no, it. it I, I think I told you like two weeks ago. It's been a while. So you know, that, for us, weeks. for us, that's a long time. You know. Well, so. Normally it's two months. I figure a way to kind of push it back and push it back. But okay. No, well, yeah, you didn't have to show up. You know, you, you no, wanted to. No. So. I wanted to. Oh my gosh! And especially when you said, "By the way, it's a pretty good week." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, Die Hard too. Are there any bad weeks? But some weeks do stand out." Yes, this is this is one that that will slightly stand out. But we'll we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there as the week I goes can, by. I can tell you this because I saw this in the movie. I saw it in the theater. I think we talked about this when I was first on. There's going to be moments this week that still I'll remember what it was like the first time seeing it because I was hit not once but twice in the minutes coming up where I didn't see it coming and I still remember that shock of like how did I miss that exactly that and that that's what this movie is all about and you know it happens pretty much entirely in this week so you know that that worked out well for you mm-hmm. <laughs> You know. All right, so minute 96 begins with Telford getting ribbed by his comrades and ends with a lone figure appearing on the top of the stairs. So we finished on Friday with the snowmobile chase and, and John figuring something out. You know, we're not 100% sure what he finds out. I mean, the, the, the script did tell us, but, you know, in the movie itself, they, for some reason, decided not to tell us. I, I, I haven't figured that one out yet. Why, you know, they, I mean... I guess visually it's more of a problem to do it. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. You know, I, so. without giving anything away for our listeners for this coming week, I had no idea what the problem was, only that he made a comment about he was right in my sights, and then he looks down, and you you realize he's put two and two together, but we're like, what, 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 what did you figure out? <laughs> and we don't know. That's right. That's right. We, we do not know what he found out. And uh, I mean, I I like the way that they do it in in the end because you know it it, it gives us a little bit of a surprise as to what's going to happen later this week, uh, mm-hmm. even though we're going to go very much into detail about why that is completely impossible. But that's oh, a separate issue. We'll, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. We're yeah. not we're not going to jump ahead for for that one. So basically, all the the guys from Blue, Blue Light get back into the uh, into the truck. You know, last week we we had. Grant give out all these uh, crazy orders about you know how they have to be ready and they're gonna they're gonna have a full assault and all that stuff and you know we, we just see the guys riding around in the back of the truck or or actually I don't even know if they've started moving but they're in the back of the truck and and one of the guys we never even find out who says this because is you know all these blue light guys don't have names you know you have Grant you have Telford and then you have the rest of them. You know, even even in IMDb, you have the some of them just listed as blue light, and the other ones are listed as um, uh, first sergeant, second sergeant, things like that. Well, I do think it's definitely moving because even though it's just a split second here, the truck is going across the field, and then once we cut inside, they've got that actor shake. You know, like you just kind of pretend like we're all bouncing along. Right, and then one of the one of the guys, uh, like I said, we we don't really know who it is particularly. He goes, hey, Telford, what was your chick outfit doing while we were taking Granada or Grenada, however you want to pronounce that? Um, you know, and and OK, so first of all, I, I've mentioned this before, but do you know who the actor is who plays Telford? Are, you, are looking, you familiar with who it is? I'm looking at his face right now, and 
I could not tell you at all. There's no dawning recognition for me. Okay, I mean, I I don't know if it's a question of of you recognizing, you know, who, he he never really had a major acting career, but what was the most uh, uh, prominent? What is the most prominent thing about him is he is Mr. Rebecca De Mornay. <laughs> married to Rebecca De Mornay, huh? Yes, they have they have two kids together. So, uh, you know, there's a name. Is it Patrick something? Yes, Patrick O'Neill. O'Neill. Okay, yeah, I know the name. Oh, you've heard it before? Uh, I mean, th- is he a sports guy? A sports something? I can't remember. Um, I, I actually, you know what? I think he is. I think he's a, a sports. I think he was a sports announcer for a little while. I, yeah, I like actually, a sports something. Yeah, I think there was something to that. Um, <sighs> he, was, he was in very few movies. I have. Uh, yeah. I mean, he has that, 14, no 14, his 14 acting credits. You know, that's it. Um, but he, he, I think he was a football guy. Um, yeah, I think I, I did mention this at some uh, when we talked about him a few weeks ago. That that he was on uh, the TV series Totally Football. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. I the I, the only reason I know of the name is when you brought up Rebecca De Mornay. That was it. I would have had no knowledge about anything about him until you said that. So that was that was the big reveal for me. Mm. Right. Okay. He, he was a sportscaster for Fox Sports. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, I mean that that's his. For, for me, it's just really funny just seeing him here. He's this like babyface guy, and at the same time that 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 this movie was being made or around the same time. I mean, think about the movies that Rebecca and Monet was in. Uh, I mean, they, they, they weren't married yet. They, they only got together a few years later, but, but still, and he's also, he's, he's the son of Ryan O'Neill. Right. Yeah. So, so he's, uh, I guess, part of the uh, Hollywood elite, I guess you can sort of say. It, it gets your foot in the door. We can say. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, he's a, he's a half brother of Tatum O'Neill and Griffin O'Neill and Redmond O'Neill and his his mother is uh, Lee Taylor Young, you know. So he's, you know, but but he definitely is baby faced here and fits in. Mm-hmm. This he fits in really well as this character, you know, who is is somewhat of a red herring basically, because mm-hmm. you know we we don't know, you know, we're, we're told earlier that there was a last minute change in personnel, but we don't know who they're talking about, and you know, and then he mentions. At some point, that you know, he's he's just there because you know the regular guy got appendicitis. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're sort of giving us these little hints to something, but we're we're not really sure what it is. So they they mentioned some some great things in the first uh, you know in the in the first volley of of dialogue here. First of all, you know, he 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 says your chicken <laughs> outfit. So what do you know about the term chicken? <laughs> Ironically, having chickens. <laughs> <laughs> so so you deal a lot with you deal with a lot of chicken. I deal with That's the, what you're with the actual droppings, which by the way are great fertilizer. Um but it's always been a term used to mean someone's a coward or somebody found ways to avoid conflict or avoid fights. They're 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 a coward. It's a, you're a chicken, but it's like going it's like chicken on steroids. You're not just chicken like Marty McFly, you're chicken sh- Right. That's right. And what what's really interesting is, is that it's 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 a it's it's one word. You know, it's not chicken sh- it's chicken. Right. You know? Chicken sh- is something different than being a chicken. Sh- that's correct. That's <laughs> that's chicken manure. Right. <laughs> yes. But so there, there's basically two different uh definitions of the term chicken first one is uh someone who is petty or insignificant and the other one is lacking courage manliness or effectiveness that that's more or less the one that we were yeah. you know uh, referring to here with the whole thing so you know as the the term being used as a coward how how far back do you think that that term goes where you would call someone a chicken it's been my whole life so it's got to be a while i have no idea when it was first used i don't know the etymology but i know i've known that my whole life so well over half. Okay. Well, yeah, it's 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 even it's a lot more than that. It's almost a century old. It was first noted as being used in 1929 to you know to refer to someone who's being cowardice. Hmm. 
Right after um, right you can use the, it. Uh, the, the fall of the stock market, start of the uh, Great Depression. That's right. Interesting. And it can either be a, a noun or an adjective, but it is always an insult. <laughs> no, no, it's never used fun. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> one of the other times, and ironically, it's almost the exact same line, but used differently in the movie Aliens is when Hudson says, how do I get out of this chicken <laughs> outfit? That's right. And, you know, that, that that's four years before this movie came out. So, you know, so you can't even say that that, that one copied the other because... I, I don't think D'Souza, you know, looked at the, the script of, of Aliens to try and help him figure out what he wants to uh, give the, no, the characters. This would be a typical military ribbing. You you assume yes. your unit is the brave unit and somebody else that didn't do anything, they, they got assigned to the chicken <laughs> unit. So, I mean, I think that's just a, I think that's a military euphemism and it works very well in this obviously setting because we've got these guys that are, have been established as, you know, high-end military commando types. Right. That's true. And then, and then petty. So the, the idea of, of calling someone, uh, you know, either petty or insignificant nonsense, it it's, can also be used as either a noun or an adjective. And it basically is the scent and it, it, it comes from military, from the, from the military. Chicken refers to behavior that makes military life worse than it needs to be. <laughs> Petty harassment of the weak by the strong, open scrimmage for power and authority and prestige, sadism thinly disguised as necessary discipline, a constant paying off of old scores, and insistence uh, on the letter rather than the spirit of the ordinances. Chicken <laughs> is so called instead of horse <laughs> or bull <laughs> or elf <laughs> because it is small minded and and takes the trivial seriously. <laughs> so I mean that's that's an interesting way to look at it. You know that that. You know, thinking about the, the the size of the animal, and based on that, you know, because it's chicken, so it's it, it's it, it's a much smaller and petty, small mindedness. So yeah, I like that. There there's also a very uh, famous phrase I've never heard this before, but um, it says you can't make chicken salad out of chicken. <laughs> no, I mean that expression goes back to the 1920s, and it, Lyndon Johnson is actually quoted as once having saying. Uh, I may not know much, but I do know the difference between chicken <laughs> and chicken salad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everyone everyone who knows anything about Lyndon Johnson knows that he was not somebody who minced words. <laughs> he one of the presidents who 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 was known for 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 his vulgarity and for the way that uh, you know he well, spoke. let's put it this way. If you didn't know the difference, it's only gonna be a mistake you make once. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. You doesn't taste like chicken salad at all. <laughs> now, I mean, I, what what I find really interesting is the fact that that you know, I I've been in the military. You've been in the military. Usually, when you need a replacement for for someone in your unit, you know, you're going to have somebody else who already knows how to do that job. You know, the idea of, of redundancy, the, re, the idea of a backup. I mean, I, I recently saw, rewatched the movie, We Were Warriors. Oh, We Were Soldiers, sorry. But with uh, Mel Gibson, We Were Soldiers. Yeah, it was it was amazing rewatching it. One of these days I would love to read to read the book that that's based on, but probably never get to that. That's that's why I just, you know, I, I, I have my cliff notes of movies instead of reading books. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, basically, the um, one of the things that they talk about in the movie is when they're training, you know, the idea is, is that everybody needs to learn the job of their immediate, uh, uh, the person right in front of them. So that if that person gets gets killed or wounded or whatever it is, you can take over their job. So I just find it really strange, I mean, besides as a plot point, that they would bring an outsider into this, as opposed to just saying, okay, you know, there's got to be someone else who can use the radio here. You know, when you look at it from, like you're saying, a, a true logistics standpoint and manpower standpoint, it is a weak plot point. Most general audiences aren't even going to think anything about it. They're going to think like, oh, okay, there's there's this pool of people, like the military version of the temp agency. <laughs> you just call in and say, can you send somebody in here who's got the following skills? We need them for a couple of days. Well, a great example of that is Saving Private Ryan, you know, where they get Oppum because they need somebody who speaks German, you know, so, you know, they get him from a pool. He's They get him from the secretarial pool, mm -hmm. basically. 
That's a little different than this. You know, this is a special ops unit that probably used to working together, training together, where you'd want to make sure that anybody knew you brought in, you wouldn't bring them in at the start of an operation. You, you'd bring them in to train for a long time to make sure that they'd mesh with what you need. But correct. from an audience perspective, and I will tell you, of course, watching this movie when I was in my 20s, early 20s, you don't think about that. You just it just makes sense to you. Okay, they needed a backup, and as you mentioned, a pseudo red herring. Is he something more than he is? Correct. You know. So yeah, no, I I completely understand why they do this, but you know, I'm just I, I like looking at some things from from a you know uh, from from a genuine perspective, and in genuine perspective, this is probably not what it would have happened. Right. No, I agree. You know. That, it, that's if, if we were working in a mess hall and they needed somebody to come in and peel potatoes, sure, you're just going to pull somebody in. Not in this particular instance. That's right. This is too high. This is too far up the specialization chain that you wouldn't just bring somebody in that you didn't even know who he was. That's right. At the very least. That's right. Especially, guys, especially when you look at what they're going to be doing with this guy. Well, at the very yeah. least, what I was going to say is any of these guys, because they all have that camaraderie of shared combat. If let's say this guy had been in a similar, but let's say, side unit with another branch somebody would have had combat time or combat experience with that person to have gotten the recommendation to say hey we've got an opening i know a guy that i went you know a two 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 tours with in this theater or this operation let's see if we can bring him over right it's not going to be somebody that nobody right. knows that's right or you know the guy in the the, the next platoon you know because i'm assuming that blue light is that they probably have a backup blue light you know they probably have guys that that are you know, that train with them, you know, even if you just want to use the analogy of, of uh, you know, space travel, you know, you, you always have the backup crew mm -hmm. that there there's going to be someone else who, who, who you can use as a replacement if you need to. But it doesn't sound like, like that's what Telford, Telford, it sounds the way that, that, that he's, he's ribbing him here basically makes it sound like he came from, from all the way out in the mm -hmm. field. You know, this is a guy we've, we've never dealt with before. You know, so, well, what can you do? That That's what the plot needs. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. <laughs> what, the, what the plot needs, the yes. plot gets. <laughs> right. So, and then they, they mention uh, Grenada or Grenada, however you want to pronounce that. So what, what do you know about that place? What can you tell me? Uh, I do know Clint Eastwood made a movie about it. Do you remember the name of the movie? Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He, because the whole movie is about training people to go, and then the last twenty minutes is maybe seeing any kind of combat. It is. That's right. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Go with go with your heart. Go with your heart. It's on the tip of my tongue, dude. This is this is embarrassing. I know what it is. It's. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, something. Well, well, the Marine movie minute did 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 the movie uh, minute by minute. You know, friend, you were on it. Oh, that one, that's even worse. Right. It's uh, <laughs> hold on. Uh, shout out to to Brian. Okay. Heart, Heartbreak Ridge. Heartbreak Ridge. Jesus, I knew it was a that's ridge. Right. Heartbreak Ridge. <laughs> yes. Heartbreak Ridge. My God, that should not have come. It not, I gotta stop uh, aging. Something's gonna have to slow down. I need I need to stop getting a little bit older. That should not happen. But uh, yeah, Heartbreak Ridge. Yes. Yes. So heartbreak ridge. So do you do you know what happened in in Grenada? Uh, wasn't it do you know the story of what happened? Of communist or some kind of uh, rebels captured a bunch of students or put a bunch of American students in harm's way, something like that. Well, basically there there was there was a a coup there. Mm -hmm. it, Grenada is a a small little uh, Caribbean island, uh, basically a hundred miles north of, of Venezuela. And basically, on the 25th of October, 1983, the the U.S. went and invaded the this little country uh, or this little island uh, at dawn, because basically, and it was known as Operation Urgent Fury, mm. and they they basically occupied the the country just for a few days, and there there was a an attempted coup. Which uh, they uh, executed the the previous leader and the second prime minister of of Grenada, uh, whose name was uh, Mars Bishop, and they uh, basically established a revolutionary military council. 
And basically the, the idea was that uh, the Americans went in because there was an American um, medical school that was there. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was and something, they, I know this was during the Reagan years, and I remember something about university students or something to do with there were Americans there. So by, by de facto, uh, the U.S. military was mobilized. Yes. Yes. And the the invasion actually took place two days after the U.S. Marine uh, barracks uh, bombing in Beirut, which also goes to show, you know, that that uh, you know the 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 way that that the military that the U.S. military was you know mobilized globally at the time, um, and they were they were still reeling from from uh, this this huge bombing. So. Mm. Yeah, that's just uh, completely crazy with the whole thing. Um, it was it was a relatively short occupation. Short. Uh, I mean, when when you bring in the <laughs> the the U.S. Army to to go take care of it, so you know it it's not as if you can you can say that 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 they were fighting against uh, comparable. No. Uh, uh, a comparable army. They were not comparable forces, not at all. No, I mean I have a list here of all the different uh, units that were sent in. I mean they sent like the top units to go take over stuff like that. You know, there, I mean there were there were thousands of of uh, of troops that 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 were sent there, but they they basically took it over very mm-hmm. quickly. And I mean the 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 number of casualties was was more than one would think, but obviously not as uh, uh, as as uh, you know, large as some of the other uh, uh, thing. I mean, basically, uh, first of all, Norman Schwarzkopf was the deputy commander of the invasion force, and they 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 killed uh, 160 Grenadian soldiers, 71 Cubans. Uh, the the Pentagon's count was 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 much lower, so I don't know who to really believe mm-hmm. here, you know. But they 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 claimed that they found mass graves and things like that. So th- th- there's a lot of controversy. You know, over over the years as to what exactly, uh, you know, what what happened there, and how many people the they ended up killing and stuff like that. The they had eight thousand U.S. troops that uh, participated in it, and there were there were nineteen American soldiers that were killed and one hundred and sixteen wounded ones. So, like like we said, you can go watch Heartbreak Ridge <laughs> if you want to see what quickly happens there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, going to spend two hours of the movie watching them train for the mission, and you get the last. No, well, they weren't training well, for them. They weren't training, training for that a, mission. They were Marine. training in right. general. Yeah, training to be Marines. And, uh, you know, then you, you got uh, our, our good friend Clint to go to take them in. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so after this comment is made, uh, everyone starts laughing, basically. And and then Grant uh, uh, chimes in and goes, Grenado. Five minutes of firefight, five weeks of surfing. <laughs> it's really interesting if you watch what he's doing. You know, they're, he seems to be passing something uh, along. Can you tell what yeah, he's, what he's uh, passing sticks along gum. They're just gum. It's gum. That's right. Just, uh, That's right. Do, could, were you able to tell what, what brand gum that is? You know, it looks a lot like the double mint style gum, but I don't know. Or extra. It's close. You're close. You're very close. You're, you're in uh, the family. Wrigley. It's in the it's double Wrigley mint family. Wrigley something. Yes. It's, it's big red. Is it? Yes. All right, because it looked like yeah. it was a pink it's label. The, I didn't think it was a red label, but you know, hey, I can't tell. Maybe my maybe my screen isn't colored. Uh, to to me, it looked to me it looked uh, like it was big red. I mean, we we talked about big red uh, in Die Hard One, but uh, I'll, I'll just mention what it is again. Do Do you remember what big red is? Like the flavor yeah, of big cinnamon. red. Yes, the cinnamon flavored and and the uh, the whole idea of the campaign behind it. Is that you know the 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 flavor lasts for a very long time, so they they had um, you know the 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 big red song, you know I I remember those uh, commercials that they would have you know where they would say uh, you know kiss a little yeah. longer romance a little longer you know you, you, <laughs> that's right you you'd always have you'd always have like like somebody having to like uh, i think they're one of the things is someone like misses a train and starts running after the train because he's kissing his girlfriend <laughs> you know he's kissing her goodbye and then the train leaves because you know they're they're enjoying uh, the cinnamon flavor uh I, I guess a little too much or whatever 
<laughs> in the the movie uh, Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby, there's uh, <laughs> he has a, a he does like a commercial and he goes, "I'm Ricky Bobby. If you don't chew Big Red, then fuck you." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I used to love Big Red um, because the flavor, ironically, that that cinnamon did last. It seemed like a lot longer than other flavors. Um, mint would last a while. Bubblegum never lasted yeah. long enough. The bubblegum flavor, and especially as a kid, all I wanted was bubblegum flavor. But when I got a little bit older right. and uh, started going out with the ladies, uh, Big Red became my gum of choice. There you go. That works. <laughs> so he's passing out the the, the gum. And then uh, Telford goes, I wish I was with you guys for that. And Grant turns to him, yeah, me too, kid. And he goes, really, sir? And he goes, sure. Then we wouldn't have to do this. And he very swiftly pulls out his, his survival knife and just slashes his throat. Mm-hmm. You know, very smoothly, nonchalantly. You know, stuff like that. Now, why does he say then we wouldn't have to do this? Meaning, you know, he's the one who's doing it. I mean, obviously, they're all part of the plan. But, you know, uh, you know, the the idea is that this is a guy who can't move on. You know, we, we, we're, we're, at a, we're at the point of no return. We got to get rid of you. You know what's amazing? First of all, okay, let me just give my initial reaction. Even watching it now, I'm transported to that moment of just shock, just I've taken completely, did not see it coming, did not know it was coming. I feel just like this kid, like doesn't even know what's happened. What I also think is amazing is now that we can slow this down, the, the rehearsal of him having the prosthetic already in his neck and he's got to lean down just enough because the knife is going to roll over it, and as he opens his head back just a little bit, it splits open. So the the wound right. is already there, but because of the edit and how fast this works, it becomes a seamless, and it looks like he just completely goes right through his voice box. He's not going to be able to scream. He's not going to be able to talk. He's not going to be able to say anything. He's just going to sit there in shock, and I'm still watching it now for the what hundredth time this movie I've seen. It still is just as shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's done so well also, because if you, if you, if you, you know, when you're paying attention to these things, you see the way that Grant, his eyes, you know, uh, dart back and forth beforehand, you know, looking at everyone, basically getting confirmation, you know, via, via his eyes from everyone else that, that I'm about to, to get rid of this guy. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, we, that's we've actually, moved into the next That's stage. the part that gets you too, is you sit there because they've got the cutaway shot and they're all looking at him like, yeah, had to get rid of him. Like he's he's no more important to them than if you had squashed a bug. That's right. That's right. They they have absolutely no uh, emotional feelings about the fact that they're you know killing Telford. Right. This it's, is you know it's, it's it's the next stage of the plan. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And and it gives you a sense of some of these guys just how cold and calculating and what they've probably been through. Doesn't even affect them. They're gonna they're gonna gut this poor kid. They're gonna you know basically just watch him bleed to death from his neck, and they don't even. It's like well, part of the mission. That's right. So I I decided I was gonna do a little uh, research about uh, you know uh, slitting one's throat. Oh, <laughs> good. We ha- haven't had a good gouting yeah. discussion in a while. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So first of all, you know the 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 question is asked which. Uh, will, will one die faster from slitting their wrists or or throats? Throat. What do you think? Throat. The juggler. If you get the juggler vein, you're going to be out pretty quick. Yeah. Basically, if if you if if you get the right place, the carotid artery on on the neck, you know the person will become unconscious within seconds and and will be dead within minutes if that that much. Mm-hmm. Um, the arteries on, on the, the, the wrists are a lot smaller, so it'll take a lot longer for, for the, but if you want to be really efficient, then the way to get someone is to, to slice their, uh, uh, femoral artery in the groin area. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that, that, that'll, that'll get you also. (laughs) And basically the, the idea is, is that because of the, the corridor artery, that's where a lot of the, the blood flows through the body going up to supply blood to the brain 
you know, so that that's why that that area, you know, basically you bleed to death. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when that uh, so I I I one of the things that I saw when I was doing research on this is that the in movies and TV shows th- there is a death trope that the classic way to kill somebody uh, is basically just taking a knife and uh, or a razor or some other edge weapon and just uh, slice it across someone's throat. All right. So I was able to find a list of 125 different movies <laughs> that have uh, scenes showing, you know, uh, where someone gets gets their throat uh, sliced. Obviously, I'm not going to go through the, the, this entire list, but I just wanted to mention a few of them that that are more popular that people would know about. So you have uh, Avengers Endgame, when uh, Hawkeye slices the throat of the Yakuza boss in the, the duel. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Braveheart. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously. The, the main scene, you know, where, where Murrin gets, gets her, her throat cut by the magistrate and that that causes uh basically everything to 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 happen there but william wallace does the exact okay. same thing back to the guy who did it to hit to her that is correct so we get double we get double uh throat slices that is true that is true um uh, conan the barbarian with uh schwarzenegger uh along with the, the sequel Conan the Destroyer, which I loved as a kid, but whenever we watched it recently, I just it looked so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for your eyes only, Bond movie, where Bond's uh, ally Ferrara gets gets his uh, throat slit, you know, while they're while they're at the ice rink. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Um, just about every Friday the Thirteenth movie. Yes. <laughs> every slasher movie. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> That's right. They ha- they have a statistic here that says if you're in a Friday the Thirteenth film, there's a seventy five percent chance that you're going to get your throat slit. <laughs> That's how you're going to die. <laughs> I'm glad somebody came down with that uh, the statistical analysis. Statistic. That's right. Um, same same goes for the Halloween series. Just about everyone happened that happens to um, Highlander. Well, uh, Kurgan gets his uh, throat cut. Right. Um, Hunger Games, Catching Fire. We have another one of those there. Uh, obviously, Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, uh, Tarantino Knight likes to, to do those things. You have uh, John Wick uh, Chapter 2, uh, Kick-Ass. That's mm-hmm. how Big Daddy kills one of the mooks in the warehouse. Uh, I mean, again, there's just so many here on this list. Uh, you have Kong Skull Island, where, where Kong actually does that to the skull crawler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, LA Confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we got here? The, the Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. I got to imagine that even this list is not the full list of every movie that's ever used this technique. Oh, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure. Again, I'm just jumping I'm jumping around just to the ones that, that, that are more recognizable. Um, you, you obviously have uh, Robocop. That's another uh, big one that... Uh, that deals with that. Uh, well, uh, obviously Sweeney Todd. <laughs> that, but you that's with a straight razor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, v for Vendetta. The the Wild Bunch, which I actually just watched yesterday. That's how Angel is killed uh, at the end. Uh, and obviously on this list they have Die Hard 2. Hmm. And... Die Hard with a Vengeance, right? How, that's how they killed the the security guard. You know, we'll we'll, we'll get there in two seasons. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, SWAT, SWAT from two thousand three, is another one on the list. A movie that I know that you're a big fan of is The Thing. Yep. Thing has one also there. Um, yeah, I, I I think we've gone through enough. I don't think I need to go through. Uh, oh, there's a Harry Potter on this list. Which Harry Potter? I know you're a big Harry Potter fan. Which one? As someone getting their their throat slit. Their throat slit. Yes. Hmm. Nothing's really coming to mind. I know. In the movie. Right. In the movie. According, again, according to this list, I'm trying to remember, you know, how it actually happens in the movie. 
they they write here that that uh, that's how Snape was killed. I know that Voldemort Voldemort does this to, to Snape with his wand. Right. Okay. Yeah, he does it to, right, and then just to immobilize him, and then Nagini his Snape that's right hits him multiple times in the face with venom. So Correct. that's technically what kills him. Well, leads to his death is Nagini. But yeah, you're right. Right. So yeah, that's uh, basically the part two. That is right. The the final the final uh, movie in the uh, in in the entire series. Um, I also saw something very interesting that that uh, there there was a case in 2016 where three people got their their throats slit by a by the string of a kite this was an accidental death apparently the 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 kite string was was made from uh it had like glass shards in it that's just like really weird yeah have you ever heard of someone trying you what you 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 know that no you know that they they but you said that they would have glass shards in the string yeah that's what this article talks about I can get where maybe yeah. if the string was somehow tangled in something and you're riding, let's say, a motorcycle or a fast bike and it, it's right at neck level and it'd be just enough that that twine in the forest can kind of maybe dig in and cut. But I'm trying to imagine the the, the wow. Uh, OK, I never had kite string that had glass in it. <laughs> they had they had, they have glass coated strings that they use for, you know, in competitions to try and cut other people's uh, kite strings. Oh, and really? It, yes. All right, I'm this many years. That sounds old, like something. Never that sounds like something in. That's right. That that sounds like something they would have in like a James Bond type movie. Right. You know that yeah. that James Bond has 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 kite string that that can slice through people or something like that. Right. Odd job and his wife popping kite. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, so yeah, basically Telford is dead. Uh, they you know it. It's it's nice that they uh, you know they're all wearing white and that no one gets any blood on them except for Telford. Mm-hmm. They do a nice job of that because you know uh, putting that in the washes will be a real bitch. You know what's <laughs> crazy is this movie. I think more than one or three is much more graphic with some of the things that we have and the way people are being killed and some of the deaths. It's not just shooting. It's not just you know, a, a, a grenade going off or a fire. I mean, we're seeing some fairly gru- gruesome deaths in Die Hard 2. Correct. And I, I, it's part, I think it has to do with Rennie Harlan because Rennie Harlan on the commentary talks about the fact of how much he fought to get realistic uh, violence into the movie. Because he said, this is, you know, this is the type of thing these characters would do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, even that, you know, the the studio back when the the plane crashes, the studio wanted it to be a cargo plane that didn't have any passengers on it. He said, no, you have to have passengers in it. And what they decided to do was show it to like a focus group, and the the focus group uh, were were completely shocked when they they took down a real plane, you know, filled with passengers, and they're like, okay, this is where we're going to keep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you no. know, no one's going to care if it's a cargo plane. This movie, of all of them, it's almost because it's so gritty with the way they treat the the, the first plane crash, the the death scenes, it almost pulls it just a little away from the rest of that quote, the the comedy part of these movies that we kind of like. We kind of like the fact that it's an action movie, it's got funny lines, it's got great set pieces. This one almost pulls it away and you go, it's almost too gritty it's almost too heavy right I mean, the the first one obviously you're holding hostage at christmas but <laughs> you don't have you don't you don't have people having like ice you know cube or, or um icicles thrown through their eyes and throats being slit and being put through compressors and on uh conveyor belts well it depends on where you spend christmas you know <laughs> well you're true and i know the <laughs> third one there is a scene like this but it's almost kind of in the dark in an elevator so you don't notice it as much Correct. But this one is very, yeah, you have those moments of like, wow, for a moment, it, it, it went from fun movie to, oh, this is really, really heavy, <laughs> you know? That's right. And and it, and it works because it, it adds to, you know, the whole idea of this scene, and we're going to get to more scenes later this week, is to basically throw the, the, 
the the audience off balance. Mm-hmm. No, and, you know, and you I don't think that something's to, happening and it's not. I, I don't want anyone to hear my comment as if somehow I don't like this movie. I think it's a great diehard movie. I think the first the first three for me just make a perfect trilogy. I don't need to see any other diehard movies. I kind of wish there weren't any other diehard movies. This one is definitely the middle movie, and it's the darker of the three. <laughs> you know, the the audience is completely in shock as to what's going on, and you know, our minds must be racing trying to figure out. You know, when when you're watching this for the first time, what is going on? You know, he just slit Telford's throat, and then the next thing he does is he reaches into his his pocket and pulls out a walkie-talkie, which is very similar to the one that, that the ones that we've seen throughout the rest of this movie. He punches in a code, and then he says, "Eagle's Nest is actually on schedule and in position." And I mean, first of all, I love the choice to to have them call, to call them the hatchling, you know, cause like if you, if you look at, I, I looked up what hatchling is a hatchling, you know, they give me all these biological, biological explanations as what a hatchling is. But the idea of a hatchling is, is something that is newly created. You know, it's something that's mm-hmm. either in a, in a cocoon or it's in an egg and it just comes right out. And that's perfect. Exactly what's going on here. You know, these guys are, are all dressed in white <laughs> and they're, you know, so you can call them in, maybe they're eggs, and now they're, they're they've they've hatched, and they're you know now we can see who they really are. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I, yeah. I love that analogy. Yeah, I think that. your brain is trying to play catch up while we're watching this of like what what has just happened, and and you get you do I think all of a sudden and depending how quick you are, how many of the movies you've seen up at this point, I know when I saw it in the theater. My first thought is, these guys aren't bad guys, are they? I must be missing. Something has to. There's going to be an explanation because, you know, John Amos is not a bad guy. Like, no, of I only not. think of him as like a couple of movies that I know. And I'm, I'm like, he's not a bad guy. These aren't bad guys. These guys were brought in to take out the bad guys. Come on. This I, is JJ's father. Right. Exactly. Dynamite. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> That's right. But I mean, seriously, I, I. And I love this from a, a story crafting perspective. They never told you they were the good guys. You just assumed. And they dress them in white. You're out in the snow. You're like, well, of course. These guys are military. They've been brought in to bring in this ex guy with all of his forces. Never in a in a million years did it cross my mind that they were part of the overall master plan. Yeah. And they and they do it so well. You know, they oh, they really it, they really do a nice job of of completely shocking us as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's so well done that here we are. Like I said, I've seen this movie a, a hundred times easily, and I'm still I still have that sense that you've manipulated me emotionally. You've done such a good job, even when I know it's coming, I'm still shocked by it. Right. Right. That definitely makes sense the way that they would do that. You know, and then we we hear the response. And first of all, he looks at his watch, you know, to to make sure, I guess, that he's on schedule with that type of thing. And then we hear Stuart's response where he goes, Roger Hatchling, we are secure here. You have a green light. You know, and what's great, and we'll we'll talk a lot about this over the next uh, week or two. But did you notice how many people are on the ground crew are running around in the back? Uh, oh, when the camera kind of after we get past our a uh, drug lord kingpin that's uh, kind of sitting there, and then that's right. You've got people working on the plane. Yeah, yeah. It looks like they're all gearing it up, getting ready for takeoff. Correct. But didn't they? I mean, first of all, of the the terrorists, there there are four that are left. Okay, you have you have Miller. You have uh, I think it's, I think Khan. And then you have Esperanza and and uh, Stewart. That's it. So who are all these guys? I don't. Are, are they leftovers from the plane itself? Well, theoretically, they shouldn't be. I mean, yeah. yeah. So he so he said it last week, and then you know we we see the shot of them, and w- these guys are all there. I mean, we're going to see a lot of them over the next few weeks, which is just it. It just always makes me crack up because these guys shouldn't be there. You know the. <laughs> They just happen to be there. And, you know, we, we get a shot, as you said, we get a shot of Esperanza in the cargo hold. And we also get a shot of Miller uh, standing guard 
but once again, you can see the red tape on his uh, ammunition clips, which is which is a, a nice little touch. You know that that they, you know that that they're very good consistently in this movie by having the characters with either red or blue. And we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. about that later in the week. What what the significance of that really is? So he goes, "Do you have a green light?" I repeat, a green light. So the obvious answer to having a green light is, you know, uh, a traffic light. You know, red means stop, green means go, and I guess yellow means uh, step on the pedal or whatever whatever it is. You know, be cautious, <laughs> be cautious as you step on the pedal or something like that. But I, I actually looked up to see if there are any other connotations for the term green light. Are you, are you familiar with any others? Um, well, and obviously it's similar to the traffic light, but in uh, when you're jumping out of a plane, uh, when you're getting ready to jump, they'll put the red light on. Plus, it's you get less visibility, so there's no light coming out that an enemy could see you as you're approaching. And as you get to the jump point, it'll go to green light to let you know this is we're we're over the target. Okay, all right. That that but that that's also the same type of connotation as you know you have a green light. The green light is now it's time to go. That type of thing. So, so there's actually a a yes. surface to air missile that is known as a green light missile. Uh, it's the uh, precursor to to the sea cat. So I, I just thought it was very interesting that the, the the name of a missile is is a green light. And then when you when you deal with uh, uh, when you're talking about UFOs, so a green light is is uh, the same term as a green fireball which there are certain types of UFOs that basically what, what they, they basically say is, is that, that uh, the green fireballs are, are artificial extraterrestrial origin. Yeah, that's the, the idea of that. Um, then you also have, there's a name of a company called Greenlight Collectibles, which is, uh, this, which is located in uh, Indiana. And then my favorite one here is, do you know that there that a green light is a baseball term? Have you ever heard of the, the no. where a manager gives gives a batter or a runner uh, a green light? Oh, to run on the hit, yeah. It, it gives the permission. It's permission for the manager for a batter or runner to get aggressive, meaning you can swing away on the three no counts, or you want the runner to steal a base, as you just mentioned. Um, basically, uh, you know, the Detroit Tigers manager, Jim Leland was, uh, known for this. And there's, there's even uh, a time when he was supposed to tell one of his players to, to bunt. And instead he, he told him to give him a green light and he ended up hitting a three run homer in order to win the, the <laughs> game three to two. So whoops, happy accident. Uh, yes. Yeah. Generally. You hear the term green light means your plan is good to go. We're going to go with it. It's generally an affirmative. It's almost always a positive thing. You've got the green light. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it can even be like, hey, are we going to make this movie? Yep. Studio just gave us the green light. We're moving That's forward. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. And then the, the, the shot changes. And for the last five seconds of this minute, we actually will once again hear the the opening theme of this show. We will hear uh, Old Cape Cod being whistled by, by Marvin as he's uh, arranging his records. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great little touch, you know, that, that, that he still is, is whistling that tune that John heard, uh, you know, all those months ago. And then he like turns around and we see some figure standing at the door, uh, almost toppling over at the top of a, a little ladder. But mm-hmm. people are going to have to come back tomorrow to find out who that is. And who's who's interrupting Marvin again? Who could it be? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's Stewart and his men. Maybe they threw Telford down. <laughs> I don't know. Could be. All right. Uh, you have anything else for this minute before we uh, get into the script? No. No. I'm I'm good. I I'm really happy we got a chance to uh, to let me relive that that moment of shock and awe <laughs> to yeah. use a military phrase. Uh, with this minute because it's still one of those that I'll never forget in the theater and every time I watch it I just I'm I'm transported back to my first watching very few movies do that for me Exorcist does that for me Jaws does that for me Star Wars this is one of those movies that it's such an indelible impression it's it's cemented into my mind so right. it's a nice thing to be able to do that because usually once you've seen a movie there's no more shock and yet for a movie to still be able to do that and and let you relive sort of that visceral reaction to it. 
Um, it, it, to me, that, that says something about the power of that scene and, and the fact that they fooled us for so long that it, it just messes with your head when they pull the rug out from under you. That's right. That's right. And they, they, they do that really well here. So the, the, the script doesn't have that many differences here, but the, the, the line at the beginning starts with someone saying, I was in Grenada. And then everyone laughs. It says the bitter laughter of the battlefield. And then Grant says, Grenada, five minutes of firefight, five weeks of surfing. Laughter, which subsides a bit as Grant looks at his watch. It looked duplicated by the others. Telford is obl oblivious to all this, and he's wistful. I wish I was with you guys for that. So do we, kid. Telford is touched. Really, sir? Yeah. Then we wouldn't have to do this. And in a flash, Grant draws his combat knife and slits the kid's throat. Telford flops back mm -hmm. off the bench. Grant is already digging into the cargo pocket of his trousers, and he comes out with a transceiver, the same distinctive scramble transceiver used by Stewart's men. And then into the transceiver, he says, Eagle's Nest. This is hatchling on schedule and in place. And then a shot of the hangar. Stewart holds his transceiver while he looks up at the plane prepared for him. One of his men comes out, gives him the thumbs up sign. Stewart into transceiver. Roger hatchling, we are secure here. You have a green light. Repeat, green light. And then it says, cut to Marvin, whistling, stacking dolls, shoes, more flotsam from the airport. See, he's scavenged. At, at a sound, he turns. Mm. So pretty close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they they do a nice job of uh, of of uh, of taking what's on the paper and and showing it to us. You know, I like I like how they did here, and they they, they didn't change that much, and it, you know, meaning that it worked. <laughs> mm -hmm. So normally on Mondays we do uh, McLean Monday, but uh, since Alan has already given us his top five and everyone's gonna have to wait for mine till the finale show so hmm. i decided that what i will do is uh alan and i this week will will give some more uh off the off the beaten track stories about uh about airplanes airports stuff like that so today alan's gonna give us another story uh some sort of anecdote adventure misadventure story something that's happened to him over the course of his life that is somehow related to air travel so alan what, what what story you got for us this one's quick and it's not really heavy or anything but it's just something that i remember in that whole dawn of everybody having a cell phone instead of moving heavy because when i first got into it we had pagers i had a my dad had a bag phone and we my, my whole family has had at least my mom and dad had cell phones in their car when the, when they were new they, they they loved the idea that they had one finally i had one that i kind of played with but when i had my first it support job we had two-way pagers the the company thought it was cheaper that you could just get a pager and send a message through your it was, it was literally two-way it was like sending a text through your pager but then all of a sudden they said well maybe at this point we should get phones for everybody because sometimes the phone's going to be better if you're traveling and so this was still fairly new so this is a little while ago and we had a plane that was diverted because of bad weather and of course every person on this flight it was a business flight everybody's in business suits business attire they're all like, okay, crap, we've got to run to the desk to try to figure out what and try to get in line for the travel people to get me a new connecting flight or a new flight, you know, your typical, what you would have done 25, 30 years ago. And I thought to myself, like, oh, wait a minute, I've got a phone. I just had in uh, written down the travel number for the, for the business that was associated with booking our flights for us as IT people. So we're waiting to get out of the plane because I'm in the back of the plane. I'm not getting anywhere close to the front. Everyone's scrambling. They're trying to figure out how to get over one another because everyone knows you got to get to the desk. Whoever's going to be first is going to get helped. And, and if you're late and you're trying to find a new connector, you're trying to get home, I just get on the phone and I'm like, hey, hi. Yeah, my plane just got diverted to X airport. I can't remember. I think it was Chicago. Uh, I'm supposed to be going to Atlanta. So obviously I'm going to need a different flight. Can you see what's available? And so while everyone's scrambling to go do it manually because we're at that age where cell phones were just starting to be where everyone would get one, here I am on the phone on the plane. I walk out of the plane, go past the desk because I've already got my arrangement. I go straight to the next gate. They're like, yep, we've got your information transferred here. And this was all pre all 9-11, pre all that crap. And just walked eight and got on my next flight that was going to get me home. And wow. I just never forget about Everyone was doing this manually still. We were in that mode where so many people knew they had to rush to the counter 
to go talk to somebody on a computer to find a connecting flight or find something and try to see if there was room. And I went through the 800 number travel agency. They're using the same systems, log in, get me a connector, book my seat, lock it down, and I just have to go straight to the gate. It was great. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I could, I bypassed all of the crap that all these people are having to deal with. So it's today, people listen to that story and go, uh, yeah, what's, what's the big deal? I just went onto an app and did it myself. But <laughs> for me, that's a, that was a big moment when I realized how technology has really started to change everything. Yeah, seriously. You, you know who you reminded me of while you're, while you're telling the story? You're, you, you sound like Del Griffith. That's something that Del would do. <laughs> well, I'm of the age. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's those stories that you just you look back and go, is it better today? Or, you know, I don't know. There was just something more, I don't know, visceral about having to fight for like that next spot on the plane. And everything now right. is an app. Everything is. It's just at the touch of your fingers, which is great. I love that. But then it's like it's almost too easy now. And and then we complain if we don't have a, a Wi-Fi and we don't com we complain if we don't instantaneously connect because we've got to you know, share bandwidth because we're like in a stadium with thousands of people all trying to use your phones at once. It's just it's interesting how we've evolved. That's right. Or, or if like your power goes out or, or something goes on with the computer, you're like you panic and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. how am I going to get back online? You know, that type of thing. Right, right. I mean, we're so interconnected and so online all the time. It, I mean, I mean, think about it. Everything, even our televisions now. I stream everything. I don't, I don't have that's cable. Right. That's right. I've got, I, I stream. So, you know, maybe that's why. And side note, you know me. I love, I love camping. I love being outdoors. Maybe that unplugging every now and then is such a good thing to put into your life because my wife and I love the idea when we go kayaking, when we go camping, when we go hiking, it's whether it's a couple hours or a couple of days, we're kind of unplugged from all of the high Wi-Fi stuff and getting replugged into like the important things like nature and earth and being outside right. and smelling fresh air. That's true. Well, as you know, I, I, I unplug once a week <laughs> for 24 yeah. hours. <laughs> 24 hours is 25, like 25 weeks. hours, 25 hours, 25, still. but it, but I gave you a reference to a movie when I said that. Yes, I know that 24 hours is like three weeks. <laughs> I, I right now can, can't, I can't make, I can't make the connection. I've, I, I, I've heard it, but you know, my, my, my mind is right, not going I'll there. I'll give you the following line and you will know exactly now where that comes from. Okay. Are you going to close the beaches? Oh, okay. Obviously. <laughs> Jaws. Yes. Only 24 hours. And here someone goes, 24 hours is like three weeks. It's like, okay, well, then go out there and go get eaten by the shark. I don't care. Go ahead. Go for it. There. You can't wait 24 <laughs> hours. Go on. Help yourself. <laughs> anyway, good. sorry. Didn't mean, to, didn't mean to sidetrack us. No, that's okay. I We, we always get sidetracked. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Alan, you want to uh, tell people where, where they can find you? Yeah, if you want to go and check out a couple of the movies me and my buddy Walt did in the Gene Wilder same vein of these movies by minutes, we did Young Frankenstein season one. We did Blazing Saddle season two. It's called The Wilder Ride. We changed it to a talk show for a while. And then as Rob alluded to, it's been kind of on permanent hiatus. Uh, my buddy Walt had his uh, lost his mom uh, and then within a few months got divorced and then somehow a few months later reconnected with an old girlfriend from high school who had just been divorced, started hanging out with her, got remarried, and he's been on a now two-year honeymoon. So at some point when that comes down, maybe we'll get back to doing some shows. But you can still go out and get all the old content. Just look for The Wilder Ride or you can visit the website wilderride.com. Or, or they can just find you here. You know, a few no, times, you know, a few times this season has adopted me. He's like, I feel bad. You don't get to do shows anymore. Come on in. No, I do. It's, it's not being done out of pity. It's being done. <laughs> it's being done because I, I enjoy talking with you about movies. That's what it comes down to. I appreciate it because it's a great outlet to have. I think I've said that before. I yeah. do a political talk show for those folks who are interested in what's going on news talk wise. Uh, that one can get people uh, their blood pressure up depending on where you stand on things. But I do that every day. You can find that. Just do a Google search for The Alan Sanders Show. 
All right, great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rap Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on what used to be known as Twitter, but now it's X. I, I, I'm still going to keep going on Twitter. I don't know. And, or you can find me on my website, moveyourminute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee Yippee-ki-yay. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and